Hi, I am Nina, the brand storyteller of Help Systems Armenia, and you're listening to the Help Systems Armenia Speaks podcast. Today's episode is going to be in English as we have a special guest from our US office. So, I'm joined here by our general manager, Pavel Sinovchan. Hi, I'm Pavel. And director of development of Help Systems and agile practitioner, Tracy Anderson. Hi, everyone, this is Tracy. Thank you very much for joining me. Our pleasure. You're welcome. Today we'll be discussing the application of Agile methodologies in large international organizations. To start off, can we please define what Agile is and what is Agile at scale? Sure. So, I mean, I think everybody understands that, uh, you know, the Agile manifesto going way back where it's about individuals and actions over processes and tools. You know, that's one of the Agile, the tenets of Agile manifesto. And so if you talk about that, it's really about the people, you know, the self-organized teams, making sure you have open communication, and don't let the process get in the way of, of having the work done. Would you agree, Pavel? Yeah, definitely. And I've witnessed that sometimes some companies are just not putting people in the front, but thinking about the processes and applying all the agile processes as, as a must. But sometimes it, it doesn't make sense to have all the processes in place or have some processes slightly modified to fit the necessity of an organization and people, right? Sure, the people is what matters. And then also making sure that you know you, you concentrate on working software versus all this comprehensive documentation. So making sure that uh, um, you, know, you have small bursts of work or sprints, you know, two-week sprints where you're having these small bursts of work and getting something delivered incrementally you know, to the customer or to the stakeholders. That's what's really important. So uh, when we talk about the sprints, two, two week sprints, is there a, a must to have two or four weeks? Or what, what defines actually sprint? Is it the scope of work? Is it some processes in the company? What would be your insight to that? Yeah, so, you know, I think two weeks is typical. And that's usually because uh, if you have something that, you know, let's say that you have to get some defects out into the, into the product quickly. And so by having a two week sprint, You're able to focus on that quickly, and then if you have you know um, continuous deployment, that can get right up to the customer immediately. The other reason is you get fast feedback. So if you deliver something to the stakeholders in two weeks and get feedback on that, then you can also then quickly adjust and have this emergent design happening you know really quickly. Right. So it's not it's not messy to have two weeks sprints. It's fine to have it. I mean. It's not absolutely going to four weeks because sometimes people or some companies, they would argue with that. So two weeks gives too much stress to the team. Yeah, I think, you know, and it really comes down to the teams themselves. You know, if they're more comfortable with a four-week sprint, that's perfectly okay. And that's why we like to have these self-organized teams so that they can, they can drive how they work and how they deliver software. Is there a common practice to have two-week sprints and followed by four-week sprints, or uh, whenever team decides to have two-week sprints, it, it's going to stick with two-week yeah, two so sprints? It's a really good idea to stay on the same cadence. So if you start with two-week sprints, you should probably maintain a two-week sprint. The teams get used to that. Uh, whoever you're delivering the software to gets used to that. The stakeholders get used to that, so it's nice to stick to that. If you do want to switch at one point, um, Make the switch and then stick to that. Don't go back and forth between two and four and that, that type of thing. The other thing about Agile is you know, customer collaboration over you know, these back in the waterfall days where you had these big contracts you had to negotiate and you had, had, everything had to be you know, set in stone before you did it. So 
with Agile, the customer collaboration comes in, and that's that fast feedback I was talking about where you, know, you get something out to the stakeholders, they're able to look at it through product demos, and then give you feedback on how we should tweak it. So, and then in the end, you have a better product. And then I think one of the biggest things about Agile is responding to change um, really quickly. You know, that's that the team can pivot really easily um, because they don't have, they have two weeks worth of work into something. And instead of like, you know, back in the waterfall days, they may have two months worth of work into something and then they have to pivot and throw all that away. When, if you're working in these small two week sprints, you're able to pivot quickly. Let's say you have a different feature you have to work on. You can drop that easily and, and pivot to the next feature. Well, talking about pivoting and change management, how to make sure that team is not getting stressed with constant changes, right? How to make team grasp and embrace that change management as a part of a process and not being stressed out? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, because, you know, even though with Agile we're used to changing and pivoting quickly, um, that can't be the norm. So you have to have something in place, you know, sometimes I call it a product steering committee where they're in charge of making sure our product roadmap um, is stable. Yes, things will change, um, but typically not too much. And so the teams have to be ready to pivot and change a little bit, but they can't be expected to change all the time and, and when constantly having priorities being changed. Okay, so you asked me about agile at scale. And that's kind of a difficult um, topic here because when you're talking about Agile, it really depends on the organization and, and the products. If you have you know, a very large uh, organization with lots of distributed Agile teams, but they're working on lots of different products, that's, all that is is um, using the same model of Agile with many different teams. That's not really Agile at scale. That's just a lot of Agile teams. So when you talk about agile scale, that's the uh, where you have you know several teams like you have hundreds of developers working on the same product or the same components of a product. In that case, you have to coordinate all that activity between those teams. So there has to be some kind of a higher level above the teams. Sometimes I call it a portfolio level, and that's where the dependencies have to be tracked. So we have someone who's saying. Here's the teams that are working on all these features for this product. And because we have teams that are working on the same features, you're going to have stories in those teams that this team has to have, this team ABC has to have this stories done in sprint one because team number two needs those stories in sprint two. It builds on each other. So you have to track all those dependencies. And that's where that higher level portfolio comes in. And that's where the release planning comes in is really important. You have to make sure that you're planning all these sprints so that all these stories get done when they need to get done. So can we say that Agile in a big company is not a myth? It's a realistic thing and it's applicable. So uh, because there's a, a myth probably, uh, let's call it myth, uh, that Agile is uh, applicable to a small organizations where Scrum can be applied and run at its best. We can argue on that, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, take help systems, for example. You know, we have a lot of people here in Yerevan here working in a number of different Agile teams, but they're all on different products. And so there doesn't have to be a lot of coordination among those teams. We're still a very large organization with a large number of Agile teams, but the coordination, it doesn't have to 
across teams much. So therefore, we're not really doing agile at scale, like I said. We're just doing a lot of agile teams that you know, work in the same environment. What would you say are some of the main challenges the organization can be faced with when practicing an agile system? Okay, that's a really good one. So especially in distributed teams or international teams, some of the big challenges are communication. You know, we have different cultures we're dealing with across several nations and we have you have to have the technology in place for these distributed teams to communicate. It has to be seamless. You know, something like Skype or, or Teams is good. And it's also nice to have the cameras on, you know, so that we can see the people. So some of the other challenges is there's sometimes a lack of understanding of, of what Agile is in the other organizations like sales, you know, support. So having those other organizations get used to how we work in Agile. Some of the bigger challenges that almost every organization faces are personalities. You know, there's different personalities on Agile teams. When you're first starting out an Agile team, you really have to identify your Agile champions. You know, who's going to push it for you? Who's going to be the ones that are really, you know, adopt this Agile methodology and they're going to help others adopt it? Then you have to identify your detractors because those are the ones that are going to actively push against you and they're going to recruit people to come to their side to actively go against you. So you really have to watch those people. Okay. So the, the more champions you can have, the better because they have to be the ones with energy that it takes energy to adopt these kind of changes. And so that's kind of a big challenge here when you're, when you're going to Agile. So what is the best practice to, I would say, like combat or fight those rebels and turn them into your future partners as an Agile team? Yeah, there's some different things you can try. You know, I mentioned self-organized teams. And so if you have a team full of people who, you know, there's a lot of people who really want this change, they want, they want Agile to work, they can help coax the detractors and they can, this sounds kind of strange, but they can make that person feel like an outsider because they're not in with the rest of them. So that can cause that person to come over to the, to the, to the bright side, you know, yeah. as they say. You mentioned a good point that Agile can be applied not only in R&D, but in sales, right, in support. So what are the main differences in terms of applying Agile? in various departments. Actually, that's not what I meant, so... Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, <laughs> okay. maybe... What I meant was okay. um, some of the challenges we have is other organizations like sales or support okay. don't understand how we operate in an agile environment. And so they may come in and say, I need this feature right now, oh. or I need you to work on this defect right now. Um, when in, in fact, you know, those priorities have to go through something that we, we can't have everybody coming to us and say, drop what you do and work on this right now. So that's some of the challenges I was talking about. Okay, so the challenge here is to make sure sales, yeah, and support and other units really understand what is agile is, right? And why is the team is working in that? So it's, it's all about making sure they understand how the R&D team works and apply with that, not that they need to turn into Agile as well, right? Correct. And when you do Agile right, so let's say before you adopt Agile, a lot of organizations, development organizations, they have people coming from support, from services, from sales, even from marketing, trying to get them to do what they want to do. Because each organization, you know, views it from their own lens. So then if you have this product steering committee put in place, so in Agile organizations, 
you know, before we really get Agile going strongly, these, these are other sales, marketing, support, they want what they want, and that's all that they care about. And so if you get this product steering committee put in place, now you have members of each one of those organizations, sales, support, marketing, services, and they can hear everybody else's point of view. So now you have a shared view of what is really important, what are the priorities that really need to have to, to be taken on in development. Development's also part of that committee as well. So then, now what happens is there's no longer blame anymore because now everybody's on the same page as to what the priorities are. Yes, uh, support is having these customers call constantly about this defect. Let's get it done so support doesn't have to take these calls anymore. Yes, we're losing sales because we don't have this feature in our product. So let's put that feature in there. And so then everybody's on the same page as what the priorities are. That takes all the pressure off of the development department. So the steering committee, it's a blended team of various departments, right? People from the various departments. And uh, that makes sure people are on the same page. Is that a continuous team that needs to be maintained during the whole period? Or it's like from time to time? How, what, what is the best practice in that? It's, uh, you know, when you initially set that up, you know, try to, trying to get the priorities straight, maybe they're meeting once a week. But eventually, maybe it's once a month because it doesn't change all that often. But occasionally, maybe there's a sale pending, and that sale, they require a certain feature, and it's a large sale, so it makes sense for us to do it. Then you might have an ad hoc meeting to get these people together to say, is this worth us changing our priorities in development in order to get this sale? And if everybody says yes, and we're using Agile, then the development teams are just fine with pivoting, and they can do that really quickly. What is the best attitude that top management should show to make sure that Agile is, is working in an organization? So you hit on something that's really important when you transition to Agile, is you have to have that upper-level management buy-in. If you don't have that, you will fail when you try to transform to Agile, when you try to adopt Agile. Right. So they've got to be behind it 100%. In order for that to happen, they have to understand why Agile is going to be good for the company, why it's going to be good for R&D, you know, for sales, for support. So there's a lot of training involved. Okay, training for the top management? Exactly, training for, you know, obviously we have to train our testers, our developers, our you know, product management, but training the upper management also to understand why we're doing this and why it's important so they can receive that buy-in. So I want us to talk a little bit about the challenges that help systems has faced as it is a large organization with hundreds of employees all around the globe. What are some challenges that were specific to us? We're still struggling with this. You know, any organization that adopts Agile, it's a continuous improvement thing. So you're always looking to do something better, to find things that maybe you can tweak. Just like in an Agile team when you have retrospectives, you know, when you're adopting Agile, you have to have retrospectives of what's working and what's not. So at Help Systems, you know, we're a very large organization. I talk a lot about these self-driven teams, but you know, because we have so many teams that we have around the world in Help Systems, we have to try to find common boundaries, I guess, or guidelines would be a better term, and then have those teams work within those guidelines, but then allow for them to experiment or be you know, self-organized or to work within those guidelines to be their own team. That's, that can be a challenge, especially you know, with diversified teams or distributed teams. Being international does make the things more hard 
in terms of applying health systems. So we are multinational, right? We are more than 20 offices around the world, right? Approaching 1,000 employees, right? It's a, it's a challenge, yeah? We've never been that big. Correct. So that's a very large challenge, and we're only going to grow even more with acquisitions. And so we have to get really good at getting these agile teams put in place and working well together. We're not there yet. There's still things that we can do better. But so agile always works better if everyone can be co-located in the same team. Um, that can't always happen. And so when it can, that's great. So if we had a, let's say in Yerevan here, we had some agile teams that were everybody on the agile team resided here in Yerevan, that would make sense. Sometimes we can't do that, but to try and do that as best as you can helps the agile team to you know work better together. And because of the time difference, if you have someone in the United States and you have this 12-hour time difference, now all of a sudden you're waiting for answers to come back the next day, and then it really slows down the agile process. So trying to minimize how many teams we have that are you know, half the people over here in the United States and half the people in Yerevan would be a good thing. Thinking of Agile at a bigger organization and what it gives to an organization, what are the main benefits of using Agile in a bigger organization, not a small? Yeah, good question. So um, probably the biggest one is consistent processes across the entire organization, the R&D organization. So everybody's understands what Agile is. Everybody uses it the way, within the guidelines that we, that we have. So if you need to move someone from one team to the other, it's not a big change for them process-wise. The other thing is, if you do Agile correctly, you know, you have correct backlog refinement, then you have that opportunity to have that knowledge transfer happen amongst the team. So you have the people that understand the product really well, and you have the, the newer engineers. So that knowledge transfer occurs in those backlog refinement sessions. Okay, so the other thing is also if you do it correctly, the team has the shared vision of what that feature is. So a lot of times if you um, aren't using Agile or aren't doing it correctly, you have a feature that you're working on and this person over here has, has, has one little piece of what they're working on and this other person has a small piece and they don't know how they fit together. But if you have correct backlog refinement, and you're walking through that feature with everybody, now everybody understands exactly what that feature is, how what everybody else is doing works with what they're doing. So now all the people who are working on this feature understand how every piece fits together and what the shared vision of what that feature is gonna be in, in the end. That's a huge benefit for Ed. If we have so many distributed teams, the communication is one of the main point to make sure people are on the same page make sure people see the bigger vision, right? What would be the best advice in terms of uh, keeping communication, I don't know, as a blood system of the whole Agile? Yeah, so I think everybody knows that there's specific Agile ceremonies that, that occur. I mean, you have your daily stand-up. That's an opportunity to connect every day with every member of your team, to know what they're working on, you know, just to have that face-to-face, -face, even if it's on a Teams meeting, and have that face-to-face -face communication every day. Then, of course, you have your backlog refinement. That's, you know, I talk about this, that's one of the most difficult meetings to have because it's a lot of, you're digging into a lot of specific stuff. But when you have those sessions, participation is extremely important because you have to be able to ask the questions. You have to be able to feel comfortable enough to ask those questions in that team environment. 
And so if you have self-organized teams and they feel good about each other and you don't have any detractors like we talked about, it's easy for that team to get together. It's easy for, you know, a even an intern developer or an intern tester to ask a question because they feel comfortable. That's the kind of atmosphere you have to create. I always say that, uh, you know, you can create the perfect atmosphere for a team to just thrive in, but it can't. It has to happen organically within the team. You can't force it. Just like if you're planting a tree, you know, you can have perfect soil, sun, rain, water, but if the seeds, if it's a bad seed, it just won't grow. So you have to really make sure that that team fits well together and will work together well. I think that's a vital point because, as you mentioned, if a seed is bad, it won't grow or it will be growing something different that you were expecting. Yeah, and that brings up another point is there are times when you put the wrong people together on a team. You know, that doesn't mean you have to let somebody go. It just means that maybe if you took this person off this team and put them on this team, both teams would do better. I've had that happen several times in some of the organizations that I've been in where I just had to move one person because there were two people on that team that just kind of butted heads all the time. But I took one person off, moved them over to this team, now both teams are working just fine. So it's all about the people management as well. Correct. Exactly. Sure, exactly. How did you come to becoming an Agile practitioner? Okay, so we were in a development department that failed to meet the release dates every time. As a matter of fact, it was more waterfall. We said we were doing Agile, but it was more waterfall than not. And so we failed to meet our release dates. And so everybody blamed the software development organization for missing sales, for you know not delivering what we said we we're going to do. At that point, that company I worked for did have a lot of teams working on one product. And so we had to do scaled Agile. And so we implemented a scaled Agile framework in the company. We trained everybody. We had you know C-level buy-in, just like we needed to have. We trained um, the management. We trained all the developers. We found the right people to fulfill the product owner roles, the scrum master roles, because they have to be the right people. They have to have the right set of skills to do that. When we did that, I think it took us three months to kind of make that transition to full-on Agile, doing it the right way. When we did that, we met every single release date for three years in a row. That to me really said, this can work. And after that, you know, sales used to be the ones that said, well, development can't ever meet the release dates. Then they don't give us what we want. After three months, that was all turned around. And so now the relationship between sales and development was perfect. We never got blamed for things anymore because we had that product steering committee in place. We delivered what we said we were gonna do, when we said we were gonna do it, the teams, we went through some struggles where, you know, there were some people problems, had to move some people around. We went through a time where there were some senior level engineers that were used to doing it the old way and they didn't want to change and they were trying, they were those detractors trying to bring people to the dark side. So we, uh, you asked, you know, what, what are some things you can do with, with people like that? It ended up that I had to have a, a really frank talk with that person and say, you know, we're moving in this direction. Um, we want everybody to succeed. Um, if you if you can't or won't do that, you know, you don't have to work here. Turned around immediately and and became you know a, a, a part of the team. So there's ways to do that. So then after all that happened and we kept on meeting our release dates, I realized that well all the developers were happier, they were more productive, our quality went up, and so we had these metrics that we tracked, and I couldn't believe it. it's like this is easy. You know, so it can be it can be done really successful and people can love it. And 
it, then it got to the point where if you try to change that, because the teams were so self-organized, they wouldn't let nice. you because they loved the way it was working. So you looked into your past. How about looking into the future during this uh, course of years and uh, the software development methodologies evolved, right? So project management as well. So we used to have traditional you know, waterfall teams, right? And now we're doing agile. What, from your perspective, will come next? Will there be Agile 2.0 and how it will look like? That's a really good question. Um, you know, there are Agile coaches out there that are really strict at how you should do Agile. Um, but I think you have to t take a look at the organization. So I view Agile as, yes, there are certain things that you should do all the time, but that doesn't always work in a distributed organization or a diverse organization with different cultures. So you have to be able to adapt to that. And if you take a look at Agile anyway, the whole purpose of Agile is continuous improvement. So Agile itself can't stay the same. It has to continually evolve, continually change. And that may be within an organization or within the whole Scrum Alliance you know, as a, as a whole. So I, I certainly believe there should be a 2.0. So, Do I know what that is? No. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> so something, maybe there will be a new manifest or something. Maybe there will be different versions of Agile for distributed teams, for small companies, for big companies, international companies, yeah. Yeah, like again, it depends on the type of organization and what kind of products they're putting out. You know, whether they're software as a service products or if they're installable products, web products, if they're like help systems, we have a lot of products that a lot of teams are working on. Or if you have someone like, uh, you know, the big ones like Microsoft or something where everybody's working on, you know, this, this large product. Really makes a difference on how you implement Agile. So with an organization like Help Systems that has been around for a very long time, what would you say were some of the benefits that Help Systems has seen while working Agile? Help Systems has been around a while, but not necessarily utilizing Agile the right way. You can say you're doing Agile, but you're really doing waterfall in the background. And so I think just in the last maybe three years, we've tried to really kind of do Agile the right way, or at least get to that. We're not there yet. But I think some of the benefits that we have seen is that knowledge transfer I was talking about, that's occurring within the teams. I think more of the teams are meeting their release dates. I still think we have a lot of work to do there, but I'm a firm believer that Agile can, like, and I've seen it happen, like I said, in my past, where Agile can be the key that you need for us to be able to deliver the releases on time. I think the other thing is this shared vision of not just the feature that they're working on, but having the shared vision of what the product roadmap is, where the product is going to go. And that's the, so if, if you think about Agile, you have your, the stakeholders who say, this is what we need. And then they hand it off to the developers of the R&D organization and, and we determine how we're going to do this. So that whole process of figuring out the how, I think is working much better at Help Systems. And so that allows us to do our development. There's not a lot of, you know, in a typical organization that's not doing Agile correctly, you have two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. But if you have that planning up front, you don't have that anymore. Or you have that shared vision, then you don't have that anymore. The delivering vision in such a big organization is really an, a vital thing because you can end up with just distributed and well-aware teams, but the whole company is going to. So, yeah. Again, communication is the key. Communication is the key and also letting the teams do what they do best and just get out of the way.
you know. Yeah. That's how you get to self-organized teams. Pavel, I have a question for you. Have you seen a difference in the agile style of our organization after Sorcio became help systems? Well, we changed for 180 degrees. A lot of processes changed. People's mindset changed, actually. We became more proficient in applying agile. We became better at com communication. So I, I wouldn't recognize the same thing. So it's, it's a totally different company. But still, what, what's great, we have those values from Sorcia and from help systems come together. And that we, we benefit from that because it just it multiplied our success rate. Uh, and frankly speaking, this is the greatest evolution that company can have in terms of better organizational, better process management, to, and better team management. So, For our listeners who don't know, Sorcia was a software development company that got acquired by Help Systems in 2016 and now is Help Systems Armenian. So uh, just one question off topic, Tracy, since it's your first time in Armenia, <laughs> what is your first impression of this country, people, probably cuisine? <laughs> so first of all, people here are amazing. They're so friendly. You know, when I came here, when I found out I was going to come to Armenia, I'm like, hmm, I wonder how safe it is there. And so the first day I was talking to one of the developers here, and she said, well, I feel really safe going out at night. Um, I never feel threatened. So I thought, you know, me, a big guy, I should be able to go out at night and, and feel safe. And so the first night I, I was walking the streets and back alleys, and it was dark, and I felt perfectly safe. Went into a store, and the people there were, you know, didn't speak English. So um, the store clerk, she called one of the customers that was there that she knew must have been a regular she called him in there and said, hey, can you help me? So I was talking to him. He was talking to her. And it was back and forth. And I'm like, you know, you probably wouldn't see that in some other places. But so that, that just told me that the people here are great. city is beautiful. I mean, a lot of history in the city. And the hospitality here is amazing. And so I've gone out to eat and had all kinds of good food that I've never had before. I probably won't eat again for a week because you guys take such good care of us, you know. <laughs> I love this place. It's, it's, and the work environment here. You can tell people, uh, you know, the people here are friendly. I mean, they get along. They work hard. They play hard. They have good relationships here in, in help systems here in Armenia. And to close our interview, uh, what are some points that you would recommend to an organization that's trying to transition to Agile smoothly or to an organization that's failing to implement Agile? I think you need to have a really well-defined rollout plan. That may be something that we didn't have so much at Help Systems when we did it the first time. So I would suggest that, you know, figure out how you want to roll this out, you know, the timeline you want to do it. Make sure that you train people on what Agile is, what the different roles are for the product owner, the scrum master, product manager, how this is going to affect the day-to-day -day processes, like maybe the development manager may have some different responsibilities um, than he did before. Make sure you have C-level buy-in because it has to be driven down from the top, otherwise you're going to fail every time. Set the expectations for people of how this is going to affect them, you know, how it's going to affect the teams. Also set the expectations, you know, those guidelines I was talking about. Make sure that we, we follow these guidelines for Scrum, but within, that, within those guidelines you can tweak your teams however you want to. Continuous improvement is really important. Have your retrospectives. Also, when you're first starting out and let's say you've done Agile and you've struggled 
and now you meet your first release date. Celebrate that, you know. Celebrate that, have a party, whatever. We met our release date, and you make that really important. And then that starts to become addictive. And so now the next time, they want to meet the release date again because it's to, like, to, to have a party. <laughs> to have a party, yeah. To feel good about it. To not break that streak. Hey, we've got five in a row now. Let's make a sixth one. So um, it takes a lot of energy. You have to have someone who's passionate about Agile to drive this and identify those champions that we talked about, the people that are going to be, you know, your, your squad, they're going to have your back. Identify the people that you think are going to maybe not want to do it and explain to them why it's important, you know, how it's going to benefit them. And then when you start seeing those successes, that's when the teams start changing and you start realizing, man, this is really working. And then if you try to take it away from them, they, they'll have nothing. They, right. they want it, you know, because um, because it's working so smoothly. I just want to thank you, Tracy, to thank you for the for your time, for visiting Armenia, for sharing your knowledge, experience, and uh, we hope to see you again in Q3, probably. Man, that would be great because, you know, I enjoy the culture here. You know, we went out and we had some good food, some good experience the culture, experience the people here in the office and, you know, walking around. So yeah, I thank you so much for your hospitality and I really appreciate it. Thanks to both of you for joining our podcast and having an interesting discussion. I hope our listeners enjoyed as much as I did. Thank you. Thank you.